So a life of righteousness lived out. Session number three. I'm going to Habakkuk again. Two, four. Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by faith. What is produced when those who know they belong through the revelation of that belonging believe, truly believe from God's perspective on what belief is and believe and then the outcome of those two things being worked in a person, righteousness is then demonstrated not through our flesh, not through our ability to demonstrate right standing, but through those two things, Christ being formed and established in us and then through us. So our, we, us, I doesn't exist in what I just said. Our part is to surrender to the process. So you would know that you've come into Christ in you has been formed to a measure where yet it's you who's loving on Simon, but what's coming out of you is not you. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so often we, 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 we say this, and man, that rolls off the tongue well, doesn't it? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen. And then we just go live our lives with those of flesh. <laughs> no, no, Christ in you literally is the hope of glory. That we've been given a commandment to love one another as Christ does. It's the top priority. So if you were to ask God, God, what's, what's the most important thing to you? Ah, let me tell you. It's firstly to love me because you know me because you belong to me. For let me to do a work within you, because you're becoming less and I'm becoming more in you. So then you're able, capable, enabled, empowered to love one another as I love you. Can you see once again the enormity of the cosmic challenge that lies for us and why we have to, like Paul said, no longer live for oneself? Because while I'm living for me, I will never achieve that in him. You won't find Greg Simnor loving you as Christ loves you. You will find Greg Simnor trying to love you as Christ loves you and failing. And when the behavior doesn't line up to what Greg Simnor thinks it should, then Greg Simnor really comes out and you don't want to see that. Can you hear what I'm saying? Because when the behavior is above my ability, you know, we cannot love anyone unconditionally in your flesh. We get told we can, don't we? You cannot love your children unconditionally. It's a myth. You will find out when they, when their behavior doesn't quite align to your standard whether you love them unconditionally. Yeah, that's what we paint. The world paints. No, no. Only his love is unconditional. So when he's in you more and more and more because of your surrender, then and only then can you love with a love that's patient, kind, holds no wrong ever. That is the love that we are able to love with him and us if we are surrendered. Does that sound impossible? Does in the flesh, doesn't it? 
We all know that none of us can love like that. And yet we're called to, chosen to, as we surrender to and allow his power that's contained through his spirit to come and do a work deep in our innermost being, our heart and our mind. And you find yourself being able to love and a love that's patient, kind, gentle, endures all things, holds no wrong. It's not jealous. It's living from abundance, not small, and you are demonstrating righteousness. Christ in you. It's not you, Christ in you. See, we're only as healthy as our inner realm. And for too long, Christianity has been painted on one side, which is go and do external things. If you want to be a good lad, keep the commandments through the flesh and do them. But you never come into the life of the commandments, so it's pointless. You're a good lad. You've done all the right things, but you just haven't come into the life of what it was about, which is life of the spirit. If you're in that, guess what happens? The commandments get done. But it's not your focus. Your focus isn't to keep a wish list, a tick list. The focus is relationship through love and relationship, through the power of God within you. You demonstrate a life of righteousness. Those things are outcomes of a life surrendered to him of love. But we can completely focus on them and do them and think we're in it, in the life. I'm not saying they're wrong. I'm just saying they don't produce necessarily the life that we're to be in. Through the life of Christ in there are outcomes, but we don't chase the outcomes. We chase him. And then the outcomes get taken care of, but then you're able to demonstrate a life. Does that make sense? So this is my thought. Christianity is not about what we know, but Christ's life being demonstrated in and through our surrendered lives. Christianity is not about what we know, but Christ's life being demonstrated in and through our surrendered lives. I no longer live for myself, Paul said in Galatians 2.20. I made that commitment. I've chosen. I've, I've settled that. I am not living for me. I'm going to pursue you. And if I pursue you through the spirit, not the flesh, not through religion, not through my ability to create change through the spirit and my relationship with the spirit, because he's put the spirit in me and the role of the Holy Spirit is to lead me into all of him, then I become him in me as the demonstration. So Matthew 6.33 says what? Seek first the kingdom, his kingdom, and his. We sort of forget the second one, eh? You have plenty of, seek first the kingdom, signs and wonders. Yeah, be superheroes with a cape and fly around the world. Seek first his kingdom and, I don't know. No, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. What on earth, Lord, is your righteousness? 
What does it mean to live a life of righteousness? Well, the word righteousness means divine approval. God's judicial approval, the approval of God, refers to what is deemed right by the Lord after his examination. What is approved in his eyes? Whoa. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? Right standing, living. We were having our discussion. We were talking about how you can belong and never actually know the Father's plans and purposes, never come into knowing his ways. So he adopts us in, and we are in his home, his house, we're in his kingdom, but we just never get to know his ways, so we live our version of whatever. And we use the analogy, there's five of us, and I said, you know, it's a bit like this, it's the, we're all brothers, but the three of you guys, poor me and Miles, we were the, the ugly brothers, but the three of you guys... You not only know you belong, but you've come to know the ways of the Father through the Spirit. And you're growing in His ways, His culture, His design. Everything about the way He does, you're understanding them because He's revealing them to you. But we're also in the same family, but we're not. And we're living in our culture, in our design, in our way, even though we're in and belong to this family. And so even though we're physically right here close, we're miles apart in the Spirit. We may as well be on planet X and planet Y because you guys are having conversations. You're living for a realm and a reality and you're being able to, Christ in you is coming through to the measure. And we just don't understand that at all, even though we're brothers physically and we're in a family together and spiritually we're brothers and we all belong. But we may as well be living on two different planets because the life that's in you is not in us. The life that's being produced, the life of righteousness is in you, but... We ain't got a clue why, because we literally don't know the ways and we're not seeking first his ways. We're seeking first our ways. And we wonder why, even though we're in the family, things aren't quite working out the way we read about, we hear about, we see in others. Is this hitting home? Because... Part of seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness is understanding how he does everything. So we have to be with him for him to reveal that within us. Everything we are and everything we're becoming and everything we do is to be a representation of righteousness. Our very lives are to be lives of righteousness because we are living according to God's ways and patterns. Once again. Christianity is not about what we know, but Christ's life being demonstrated in and through our surrendered lives. It's a big ask, isn't it? It's so different than turning up on a Sunday, singing some songs, putting a bit of money in a bucket, going overseas to Cambodia, coming back, and life just continuing. Following him is radical. Following him... And allowing him to change and transform you through his power is so much different to what is being pumped and promoted out there. And let's all have a good whippy session and we'll pump it up and crank it up. But no one's changed and we're all the same. And year after year, we keep feeding on the same stuff, wondering why, I don't know, the the stuff I read about just doesn't seem to be my reality. Anyone else? Well, why is that when it's Supposed to be and called to be.
Because, guys, we're just not doing it his way. Because self is living. And self wants its way. Because it's seeking first its own empire. And I'm preaching to myself, this is the greatest challenge. is to forget about you. Isn't it? To forget about you and live for someone else. And to settle that and make that decision and then align every decision towards that continuously. Because I'm telling you, if you make that call in your life, you will upset a whole lot of things and they'll come knocking on your door. They're firstly called people who don't want what you want. And some of them you can be married to. And some of them you can have been part of giving birth to. Some of them are in your community that you walk with. They're in your small group, life group. Because the flesh doesn't like what the spirit wants. Because they're in opposition. Doesn't that what the Bible say? They're in direct opposition. But the flesh loves the flesh. That's why the flesh hangs out with itself. And the flesh loves to dialogue with the flesh. They form themselves and their own little group. Same with the spirit, though. The spirit loves the spirit as well. And the spirit is to love on the flesh in the hope that the Father will reveal to the flesh the spirit. But they're in opposition. We could say it like this. One half of the room against the other half of the room, because that opposition lives right here. Right in this room is opposition. Because we're all of flesh and we're all of spirit. But God calls us to live a life of righteousness, which is a life of the spirit. To seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, for it is of the spirit, Greg. And those of the spirit are one in spirit with me. And those who are in the spirit will cover and love those in the flesh, in the hope that the flesh will turn and seek the spirit. See, Jesus to the rich young ruler was love. But the rich young ruler walked away because he lacked one thing, even though he'd done a number of things. He lacked one thing. Jesus identified it, saw it, spoke to it, and he walked because he couldn't handle it. He wasn't able, you hear me, he wasn't able, capable to be able to have that conversation. There's one thing you lack, and it's faith. Because you're still living for you, because you're the God of your own heart. That's why you've got idols, and I see it, I identify it, and will you give it to me today? But I've done A, B, C. That's what Jesus said to him. You haven't even started, son. You haven't even started. But I've kept those things from a young boy. You haven't even started. Do you want to start? And he walked away. How do you walk away from the truth? Because you can't see it. You don't know it. And now you're in opposition to it. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? What's for you, you're walking away. Hey, Adam, come back. Where are you going? I'm hiding. Well, we were just together five seconds ago. What's going on? Because I've been altered. I partook of something that's called the flesh, and now I don't see you as I used to see you. So now I'm walking away from you instead of walking to you. I'm not producing a life of righteousness or it being produced in me. In fact, I'm in self-righteousness. Ooh. Is an interesting one, isn't it? Where does self-righteousness come from? Ah, a spirit of pride, a spirit of fear, wanting to lord it over. 
This isn't in my notes. I don't know why we're talking about this, but we are. See, Christianity is not about what you know. As we say, it's about who you know and through who you know who's demonstrating their life through you. What did Paul say? Be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. An imitator. Guys, are we imitators of Paul, of Christ? Are we a model that others look to? Are we a letter? Are we becoming the demonstration of Christ on the earth through the power of his living spirit and word? This is who we're called to become, men of righteousness. We can't become that in ourselves, but through him we can. And then others can receive him in us, through us, because we are becoming an imitator. How do you stand there and someone gets healed from your shadow? How do you lay, pray on handkerchiefs and off they go? Thank you. See, there's a realm. And because we don't understand it, we have to rationalize it away. We're great at doing it. We rationalize God down to our physical little mental capacity and we put him in a box because then we feel comfortable. What we don't understand scares the crap out of us. Excuse me. Literally. So he has to open up to show us the magnitude of who he is and who we're called to be so we can partake of his life. He was righteous, wasn't he? He has made us righteous, hasn't he? He is the righteousness himself. So if he's in us, coming out of us, we're living lives of righteousness. Once again, the magnitude, little old Anwar, born in South Africa, brought up in an environment at home. It's all you're ever going to be, son. Don't hope too much. Don't believe too much. Don't want too much. No. Bought with a price. Redeemed with a price. A great price. Born to be part of a spiritual family, a spiritual kingdom of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who spoke everything into being. To be a son of royalty. To understand the Father and the Father's ways, to know the Father and the Father's ways, to then be administer the Father and the Father's ways, because the Christ in you has literally taken over you and is coming through you. Paul got it. Not because he went on a study of the mind, because one day he got arrested by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He got apprehended. He said, this gospel did not come to me through the agency of man. Look, I've tried the operating system of man. I've tried figuring it all out. It got me nowhere. Actually, it got him somewhere. See, Paul is the absolute picture. Saul is the absolute picture of pride and fear. Paul is the absolute picture of humility and faith. So who are we? Are we imitating Saul or Paul? Because you can do both and not even realize it. He says, imitate me. Be an imitator of me just I also am of Christ. Man, 
that guy's either lost his marbles or he's the real deal, but God allows it to be in the book, so I'm picking he's the real deal. So you can look at that and you can look at Paul and you think, this guy was so up himself, it's not funny. Have a read. Imitate me as I imitate the Christ. <laughs> Get on your bud. What if one of us said that to one another? What if we were in so much life and Christ we say that? Hey, imitate me. Because I'm imitating him. Do you see Christ in it? Or do you see a whole lot of flesh? See, when people are around you, what comes out of you? That's, you know, when Jesus said, he said, when, when James and John were, uh, Jesus said, go make preparations for us, for me. And they go and the Samaritans, I'm sure it is. And I said, no, no, you can't come this way. James and John, the tight three. John, the one Jesus loves the much. So let me tell you about it. Are trying to destroy people because they don't get their own way. Shall we burn down, shall we call fire down from heaven and zap these guys? You know, I heard one guy say, who preached this, said, well, at least they knew, they knew the authority that they had. <laughs> I'm like, how do you get that out of Jesus rebuked them and said, you do not know what spirit you are of. Spirit of pride. Spirit of fear. Just because you don't get what you want, what you think I want, I'm gonna, you're gonna torch some guys. He said, I didn't come here. What did I come here for, men? I come here to save. What spirit? Is operating from you right now. These are the tight two, the tight three. Is this in you and I? You better believe the same spirits in you and I. You better believe it exists today. And if you don't think it does, then you're hoodwinked. And I would say to you, wake up, because we all have the potential to be James and Johns. We all have the potential to be Judases. We all have the potential to be Peters. We all have the potential to be Peters. After We all have the potential to be the Johns, the James, after, when they came into more and more, when they chose and the power of God came upon them, and now they were realigned, re-altered. They'd wrestled with God. They were in the right place, waiting because they heard the voice of God. The Spirit of God came and baptized them afresh and then sent them on their way, and they continued to allow God to be God and live out lives of righteousness and Paul said, you know what, I've seen it. I've seen the crown of righteousness. I'm heading for it towards it. And all those who live in it will also receive the crown of righteousness. So the challenge is, are we living life as righteousness? Because we know we belong. And because we know we belong, we believe. And because we know we believe, we're allowing him to go to work in us. And our behavior is shifting and aligning itself See, that's the outcome. We don't try and live righteously. Please do not leave here this weekend and go, right, I want the five-step plan to try and live this life of righteousness. He told me this, this, and this. It's an outcome 
of the spirit of knowing who he is and who you are in him. So if you want to process, I say this, seek first the kingdom, seek first Christ, seek him. You may have to discipline yourself, like going to the gym. I don't want to go to the gym, but I'm going to seek and discipline and put it in. I'm going to schedule some things, and then I'm going to take short accounts so it's not just religious activity. After three months of asking, seeking, and knocking and putting some things in place, I'm going to check myself. I'm going to take an MRI scan and go, am I in more desire than what I was when I started? Has this thing become living? Have you done a work yet in me that I have a natural desire and a hunger for the things that I now am doing? Can you hear me? It may start in discipline, guys. It's to transition into desire, and it's to transition into delight. Delight is the ultimate position in discipleship. Discipline is the lowest. It may be where we start, and that's fine. But God would have us, as more we mature in sons, we would delight in him. It would be a delight to spend the time. It would be a delight to come away. It would be a delight to live for him. It would be a delight to be persecuted for him. Ooh. Do you know, if you're going to live a life of righteousness, you will be persecuted. Can I say this? Firstly, by those sitting next to you. What? I thought we were all on the same team. Well, and by the world. Now I've totally lost you, haven't I? Eh? Listen to this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Was King Saul in the same team as King David or David? Theoretically. And something shifted, didn't it? When he started to lose, when he knew he was going to lose position, when he knew he was going to lose ground, when he was going to lose what his identity was in, when he was going to lose and something was going to be given to someone else, oh, we can't be having that now. You know, King Saul was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. It changed him. The Bible says he'd be changed forever. Yet he's trying to kill a boy called David. Why? Because he was threatened. And guess what? They're in the same team. But are they? Were they? Yes? No? Yeah? Externally, but were they at one stage? This flesh and spirit always living. So he tries to... Take him out. Let's go to it. Let's have a look. 1 Samuel 26. Was Jesus killed by his own people? Did he come for his own people? 
See, ultimately, the battle is flesh and spirit. The Pharisees were operating from a spirit. There's only two spirits, flesh or flesh, isn't there? There's only two things happening. You've got the spirit life and you've got the flesh life. See, we disassociate ourselves with a whole lot of stuff because we go, that's not us. I'd never do that. Well, if the flesh is in you, you have the potential to demonstrate that. And you probably might not even know you're demonstrating it until someone comes along and maybe tries to help you. But do you shoot the messenger? Oh, that's biblical too, isn't it? I sent you apostles and I sent you prophets and you killed them. Why? Because they hold the key of knowledge. The knowledge of who? Oh, my son. But you don't want it. So not only do you not want others to enter into the kingdom, you don't enter it yourself. See, there's a battle going on for truth. There's a battle. There's a war that rages. And we're in it. And Paul said, I fought the good fight of faith. I finished the race and I ran it by faith. And I received my crown of righteousness. Paul was the demonstration of righteousness. Christ in him was the demonstration of righteousness. And here's this interesting passage here. And I'm going to read it real fast because to get the whole context, you have to read it from 26, 1 to 25. Okay. I need some water. Hold on. And just give me some grace if I don't manage to pronounce some of these names here quite correctly. David again spears Saul. Okay? Again. He's already tried to take him out once. And he's demonstrated righteousness. Saul's not done. So he's trying to take him out again. Then the, the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah saying, Is not David hiding on the hill of Hakalah, which is before Jeshimon? Man, these, these names, eh? So, so, so Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having with him 3,000 chosen men to search for David in the wilderness of Ziph. Those are fair odds, aren't they? 3,000. Saul camped in the hill country of Hakalah, which is before which is before Jeshimon, beside the road, and David was staying in the wilderness. When he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness, David sent out spies, and he knew that Saul was definitely coming. David then arose and came to the place where Saul had camped. And David saw the place where Saul lay, and Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of his army. And Saul was lying in the circle of the camp, and the people were camped around him. Then David said to Ahimelech, the Hittite, and to Abishar, the son of Zeruiah, Joab's brother, saying, Who will go down with me to Saul in the camp? And Abishar said, I will go down with you. There's walking together, isn't it? I'll be with you. I've got your back. I'll walk into the enemy's camp. These men that are trying to take us out. Imagine there's 2,000 of them. Here's two guys going. See, you know, when you know him and you live from faith, not fear, all things are possible. It creates an action which creates a lifestyle. 
So David and Abishai came to the people by night, and behold, Saul lay, lay sleeping inside the circle of the camp, with his spear stuck in the ground at his head. And Abner and the people were lying around him. Then Abishai said to David, Today God has delivered your enemy into your hand. Now therefore, please let me strike him with the spear to the ground with one stroke, and I will not strike him the second time. But David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him, for who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be without guilt? David also said, As the Lord lives, surely the Lord will strike him. Or his day will come that he dies, or he will go down into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. But now please take the spear that is at his head and the jug of water and let us go. Once again, here's two guys that are going down on this mission, and one is demonstrating something to another. They're both in the same team. One wants to destroy, the other one says, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. One's able to. Of righteousness. And he actually prevents or he helps his buddy see something a greater wisdom, a greater maturity. He's teaching them right here. Can you see discipleship outplaying? For one who is demonstrating something. Uh, so David took the spear and the jug of water from beside Saul's head and they went away, but no one saw it or knew it. I highlighted that and I put, Lives of righteousness are lived out when no one's looking. Are we the same people at home as we are now? Is the work being done so when it's just you and him, he sees the heart? Nor did any awake, for they were all asleep, because a sound sleep from the Lord had fallen on them. Then David crossed over to the other side and stood on top of the mountain at a distance with a large area between them. David called to the people and to Abner the son of Ner, saying, Will you not answer Abner? Then Abner replied, Who are you who calls to the king? So David said to Abner, Are you, are you not a man? And who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not guarded your lord, the king? For one of the people came to destroy the king, your lord. This thing that you have done is not good. As the lord lives, all of you must surely die because you did not guard your lord, the lord's anointed. Now see where the king's spear is and the jug of water that was at his head. Then Saul recognized David's voice and said, Is this your voice, my son David? And David said, it is my voice, my Lord, the king. Even the way he's addressing him is demonstrating righteousness. The guy's trying to kill him, but he knows the father's ways. Because he knows he belongs to the father. He believes, and he's demonstrating a reality. Even when his life is at stake. He's able to demonstrate the kingdom culture of his father. It's 
fascinating. Why do you think God said this? David's a man after my own heart. Then Saul recognized David's voice. I've read that, haven't I? Uh, it is my voice, my lord, the king. He, he also said, why then is my lord pursuing his servant? For what have I done? Or what evil is in my hand? Now, therefore, please let my lord, the king, listen to the words of his servant. Quick to hear. Is Saul going to be able to hear the word? Is he going to be able to hear something that David's saying that's going to change his posture? Can he hear? Faith comes through the ability to hear. Hear what? The word. God's ways. God's culture. God's truth. If the Lord has stirred you up against me, let him accept an offering. But if it is men sorry, but if it is men cursed are therefore before the Lord, for they have driven me out today, so that I would have no attachment with the inheritance of the Lord, saying, Go serve other gods. Now then, do not let my blood fall to the ground away from the presence of the Lord. The King of Israel has come out to search for a single flea, just as one hunts a partridge in the mountains. Then Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will not harm you again because my life was precious in your sight this day. Behold, I have played the fool and have committed a serious error. David replied, Behold the spear of the king. Now let one of the young men come over and take it. The Lord will repay each man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord delivered you into my hand today, but I refuse to stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Now behold, as your life was highly valued in my sight this day, so may my life be highly valued in the sight of the Lord, and may he deliver me from all my distress. Then Saul said to David, Blessed are you, my son David. You will both accomplish much and surely prevail. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? See, love's able to demonstrate a reality. Jesus was able to demonstrate a reality because he was love. Stephen was able to demonstrate a reality because he was full of faith and full of the power of the Holy Spirit, which was love. God says... You'll know my brethren by the way they lay their lives down for one another. You'll know my people by the way they love. Love lives for a higher order. Love is able to live at a higher order. Love is able to demonstrate something that the fleshly realm, the world, the flesh doesn't comprehend, it doesn't understand. But you and I, we've been given through him the ability to have this revealed within us that we then are able to demonstrate something, Christ in us being demonstrated. The challenge is, is the church demonstrating what she's called to demonstrate, that the manifold wisdom of God would come through the church, that the Bible says the church are pillars that support truth. Well, if Jesus is the truth and Jesus' ways are being administered, 
then is the church being a pillar that supports what God's doing on the earth? Are we? We are the church, aren't we? It's not a building. It's not a meeting point. It's not something you attend. It's who we are. And so we need to know our identity. We need to know what we have been called and chosen for. We need to know the role that we are all called to play. There are no spectators in God's in the church. There's not supposed to be. That's why it's boring if you're a spectator. How many of you said turning up on Sunday is boring? Can we be really real? You know, people say, the worship sucked this morning. <laughs> Have you said that? Rodney's going, yep. Do you know what you're saying? My offering that I brought sucked. Because worship is the laying down of your life, so you suck. <laughs> <laughs> My offering was terrible. It's got nothing to do with whether and plays the right chord or he sings in tune or... It's created in the style that you like or the flow that you like. That's not worship. That's music. And you may not like the style of music that's being played. Man, if I had my way, it'd be country all the way. (laughs) And you guys need to get a revelation of this because Jesus is returning on a horse and there's something in there. You know what I told you, you don't recognize your true state? Well, there's a revelation coming. (laughs) So we come ready to engage because we are the church. The gathering together of God's people is to acknowledge him firstly, bring him glory, welcome through our praise, And then receive of him to be changed and transformed. That's just one environment. Yet we've made it the environment. We've made it about the meeting. And if the meeting's not good, man, we're going to tell you. Oh, yeah, we'll tell you. Is that spirit or flesh? That's one environment. This is another. Guys, I would encourage you, urge you, if I could mandate it, I would get into a discipleship group. It's his way. That doesn't mean just turning up and having a meeting. That means meeting him. Because we can do this and nothing. We can meet during the week and nothing. But we're positioning ourselves the best we can to receive living manna from heaven, which the Spirit does as we posture ourselves in humility to receive and acknowledge we need him. Lord, change us. So you in us being shaped and formed in us through the power of yourself, we're then able to live a life of righteousness out. It's really phenomenal to know that times your mouth opens and you're not speaking. It's really phenomenal to know you can demonstrate a realm of love when the very thing you're loving is persecuting you. The very thing you're loving is trying to take you out because it doesn't realize it. Because our battle is not with one another, is it? 
Our battle is with the spiritual dynamic. But do you know that operates? So we can be at war with one another or we can be in unified to the spirit of God with one another and become these men that he's longing, desiring, has called us to be more and more. We are it. Please hear me. We are it already, but we need to become the living reality of what that is. Because I know I put my hand up. I am not as mature in the spirit at the moment of what he's calling me to be. I do not yet see things, discern things, have the wisdom of God yet and as much as what he's calling me to have. So I'm on a process of growing up in his family. Why? Because I know I belong. And because I belong, I believe. And because I'm believing, I know as I follow that process, my behavior is going to align. And my hope is you, my wife, my children, the men I walk with, would see the demonstration of his life and go, I want that. Then you need his process. So often we want the outcome, but we don't want the process. Amen. You want the life. You've got to have the process. Process Christ crucified. That's the door. You die. I come. You put your, you think aside what you think you've learned. If you've learned and it's of me, you'll be able to demonstrate what that is. You'll have life. If you don't have life, it ain't of me, it's of you. It's your version of me. Surrender and let me build my church. Let me build it. So men can live a life of righteousness out. You want to act like David? Do you want to be David? Not be him, but act like him? Not really. Well, Paul was. And Paul said, there's a crown awaiting me of righteousness. I don't do it for selfish gain. I do it because I want to glorify the Father, but it's a reward of glorifying the Father. Because faith is seeing the unseen, but it sees it. It knows it, and because it knows it, it acts accordingly. See, a conviction will apprehend you, arrest you, and turn you into the direction that he wants you to go. Casual belief just has you walking this way, your own way. Yeah, I believe that stuff. I believe that stuff. I believe that stuff. I'm going on holiday next year. A conviction grabs you, turns you, and spins you. Eyes on him. You're walking. Who are you calling the church to be? What are your plans for us as a body? Not what are your plans for me? What are your plans for us? Who are we called to be? Because through that I find out how I fit into that picture. I don't go looking for me first. I no longer live. I go looking for you. And as I find you, I know I belong. I find the meaning, the purpose of everything. That's what we're all looking for, isn't it? Making sure our lives matter. They have purpose. Well, the only purpose, true purpose, is found in him. 
not whether you're going to be the greatest CEO of a company. If that comes from there and that's defined, but you know what? That will still be held lightly. That's not who you are. You are not a CEO. You are a son of the living God. And the kingdom will flow in you firstly and through you into that workplace, but that's not who you are. So true meaning and true purpose is not found in a job, sport, another person of the physical. It's found in him and him alone. And as he defines us and realigns us, and God said to me, Greg, I need to unanchor a whole lot of my people from the world, literally uproot them and anchor them into me. Because so many of them, their foundations are me in word, in words, not in reality. Their foundations are money, their own pride and ego. What is the greatest commandment? Does God have all your heart? Not yet. Do you want him to have all your heart? See, if you give him all, guess what you find out receiving? You receive all his life in you. That's why the great commandment is the great commandment, because it defines everything. And ultimately, the rich young ruler couldn't even give him any bit of his heart, even though he kept commandments, certain commandments. But the life in Christ, the power of Christ that comes to do a work, that Paul in Ephesians 3 is praying for because Paul knows, because Paul experienced the same power and he knew what it did to him. Because he knows what it did to him, he knows what it will do to the church if the church received what he received. So I pray, I'm before my Heavenly Father on my knees praying that the power of God would come and strengthen the church in their innermost being so that they would be able to comprehend with all the saints how high, wide, deep is the love of the Father that surpasses man's ability to understand something, that they would know they belong to me. They are mine. So now then, according to the power that's worked within them, they're seeing things. They're seeing the unseen. The righteous shall live by faith. And if the righteous live by faith, then a life of righteousness is produced in and through them. And a world will see my glory and want me. So let's be imitators of Paul, of Christ. Amen. Let's allow him to wrestle with us. Let's allow the things that we might think that are, that maybe, maybe not. Let's put them down. Say, Lord, is this of you or not? Ask other people whether they see his life in you. Ask what you release without maybe even realizing you release it. When you walk into a room, do people sort of like back off because maybe the spirit on you is releasing something that's actually not of him, but it's of you? See, you might not even know. Or do you release life when you walk into a room? When people engage with you, do they, when they're around you, do they feel lifted up? Do they get a sense of being lifted up by faith and encouraged and believed in? Or is a sense of, oh, oh, I don't know. How do you know that and how do you know? Is it fear or faith? We will be releasing one or the other, trust me. 
And I want to encourage this, because this is what God said to me with the whole Jesus and rich young ruler. He said, Greg, he said, the church are both. He says, there are, he says, there's a mixture, mixture of me and the rich young ruler in my people. He said, which one do you want to be more of? Me or the rich young ruler? He said, don't ever forget. He said this, he said, Greg, will you be Jesus to rich young rulers knowing that other people are going to be Jesus to you? See, the more we mature, God will ask us to go to brothers that we see that aren't necessarily in the life that they think they might be in and have conversations in the hope that they would turn. But it does run the risk of having people turn away from you and it does run the risk of breaking relationships. But ultimately, when your identity is in him and not in people, you're able to facilitate and live a life of righteousness out. And he's asking this question more and more. Will you be your brother's keeper? Because ultimately, guys, we are all supposed to be in the same team. And if we can all die and let him be king and not demand a king, but let him be king, his kingdom will come in ways in our lives and our hearts and minds that you have not yet dreamed of. And we will experience a life in the spirit and our innermost being which will dazzle and bewilder us and we will find ourselves participating of things now and the future that you never thought were possible. So, Lord, I pray, Lord, as, we, as we've been discussing and dialoguing and wrestling with you and the reality that exists within you to be in us, I pray for a spirit of humility for all of us. And I pray you would bring us to that place, Lord. I pray you would reveal to us and birth in us more and more a spirit of faith, a spirit of humility, a spirit of wisdom and revelation. I ask you just to reveal and show us in the spirit dynamic, the spirit realm, who you are in us and who we are in you, that we don't have to fight, we don't have to wrestle, we don't have to be in our own strength trying to hang on or prove in the flesh that we can trust in you and know that you're building your church. You will lead us and guide us. And as we keep our eyes on you, Father, we can step out of and into. And so, God, I just pray, I pray for, for, for us as men, your sons. I pray more and more you'd reveal yourself in and through us and that we would be found demonstrating your life within us, a life of righteousness. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.